Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Hello, welcome to the Scan Black uh, Radio Show. I'm waiting for my uh, host to come on, Annie, and I don't see her on yet. Annie, are you there? Oh, okay. You want to get started? Hello? I'm here. Oh, okay. Um, I was I'm waiting for Annie. She's got that thing to read. I guess we'll read your person until she gets on. I don't know where she is. Um Well, um tonight we've got um Survivor Professional, um Dean Tong from uh Richie, Florida, consultant and author. National Certified Child Forensic Interview and Subject Matter Expert. Um, he says, I am a forensic child consultant and expert in the area of cognitive child development psychology and structured interviews of children, allegedly molested, child sex abuse therapy, parental alienation, sexual deviancy, interest testing, and child abuse investigations, juvenile, criminal, family, and administrative courts. Crest America, and uh, he has a website, which is www.abuse-excuse.com. And uh, on these episodes, we uh, have people come uh, come on our show, and uh, Dean has been on uh, before, so uh, um, until uh, I can get a hold of Annie, I guess uh, you can just go ahead, and then I don't have a script in front of me to read about NASCAR. But uh, NASCA, um, <clears throat> the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and we're on scan number 3157. And all our shows are all archived, so um, you can go on the website, nasca.org, and uh, we've got a whole bunch of programs on there. We have uh, two um, Zoom um, support groups a week, I mean three, and then we have these Blackjack radio shows Monday through Friday night. So, um, Dean, it's your show, so I'll let you take it away. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, absolutely, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. And tribute to uh, all the children who have been abused, uh, who the system hasn't protected well uh, for parents who uh, have abused their children, but uh, are in therapy for the same. And perhaps those kids have gone to foster care or been adopted out. And for the non-abused victims who have been treated as if they have been abused, which is the majority of the cases that I see. Uh, just to correct on my website, it is abuse-excuse.com. I think you said abuse-excuse.com. Yeah. It's hyphen or, da- hyphen or dash is in the middle there. That site's been on the Internet for uh, twenty over 25 years, since 1996. And uh, there's a lot of help over there for for parents uh, who have to fight ACS in Canada, uh, rather uh, CAS in Canada, as it's called, the Children's Aid Society, or ACS in New York, uh, CPS in New York, it's called uh, ACS, and pretty much means the same thing in all 50 states. Uh, Child Protective Services has a different acronym in my state of Florida's Department of Children and Families. But uh, obviously charged to protect children at risk in harm's way and jeopardy of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. My work is in all courts in all states. So obviously I'm a pretty busy guy uh, with that type of ubiquitous, diverse experience. I have uh, worked cases in all 50 states. I have testified as an expert witness in 17 states over 50 times uh, in my career. <clears throat> a lot of trials coming up for me. And this is April, which is National Child Abuse Awareness and Prevention Month, the month of the child. So a big tribute to the kids out there, uh, which is the majority of my work is helping the kids. Obviously, if I can mm-hmm. assist uh, my client in winning the case, that's great. <clears throat> but uh, my first my first goal is, is just like the system, child protection, I try to find the truth. Uh, in these cases, uh, the needle in the haystack, if you will. Sometimes that's lost. And uh, in my cases, you know, a lot of them are sexual abuse allegations. They may include high-conflict divorces and custody battles. They may not. There could be an uncle accused, uh, and there's no uh, custody battle going on. It could be uh, it could be a stranger. Uh, that's the exception to the rule. Most of these cases are the kids uh, know who their molester is or alleged molester, mm-hmm. but occasionally you get you, you occasionally you get you know you do get stranger danger cases and strangers uh, hurting the kids. So it's it's a minefield and it's a puzzle to, for me to to help the attorneys solve. Uh, I become the tool to assist the attorney to do their job and to represent their clients effectively. Um, usually in my cases, usually in my cases, there's no 50-yard line, there's no smoking the peace pipe, there's no mediation. Uh, it's Mike Tyson time. There's going to be a winner and a loser in my cases. There's going to be a trial. Uh, and in my cases, as my website clearly articulates, uh, you are presumed guilty. Make no mistake. You are presumed guilty, and you have to uh, prove a negative to prove your innocence, or at least uh-huh. you have to do so. That's just yeah. the way it is. But, but because this goal, is, your this goal is, about is ultimately to get the, get the truth to come out, right? 
um, for the on the behalf of the children. Yeah, it, it's a right? tough job. I mean, when when I get a case, when I get a case, uh, oftentimes I'll be sent uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of records, discovery, everything from the CPS intake reports to motions and court orders and hearing and deposition transcripts, expert reports, medical records, counseling records. Uh, child forensic interview reports and the DVDs of the children allegedly abused at the Child Advocacy Center. It's a mountain of a job for me to try to uh, solve the puzzle and and put all this together. So my my job, my job is tedious. Uh, I have to, I have to attempt to intersect the alleged facts of the case with the science and the law and lay all that out for the attorney to present in court. Um, and then, unfortunately, uh, and, and I'm not trying to uh, hammer attorneys on this, but most lawyers don't get this stuff in law school, I wind up having to babysit the attorney. And sure. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about telling the attorney his or her job as far as rules of court or rules of evidence or rules of procedure or case law or statutory law. I'm talking about what I just said, intersecting the alleged facts of the case and the facts with the science and the law to connect those three dots in court so the accused client will win. I mean, there's a lot hanging in the balance here. Imagine when I get involved in a criminal case, an accused pedophile is facing life in prison, uh, felony conviction, and sex offender registration all at the same time. And perhaps it's a guy who's never had even a parking ticket in his life. Yeah. Okay, that's what he's facing. So I, I am presented. I, 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 I am presented yeah. with a mountainous, mountainous job to do, and you know, here I am trying to, uh, I'm trying to discover uh, errors by the system, by the child protection agency, by the forensic interviewer, by the therapist, perhaps by the guardian ad litem, uh, all the lawyers. So I have to, I have to cherry pick the mistakes. And I have to present all this in a report or emails to the attorneys to present that in court to the judge. Because, you know, with all due respect to judges, they're either elected or appointed lawyers. That's what they are. They're attorneys who have been elected by the public or appointed by the governor, um, you know, uh, to, to, to basically be judges. <clears throat> and so uh, you can't expect the judges – to be experts either. So as a subject matter expert, I'm supposed to know more than the judge sitting on the bench on that case, for example, in what I'm certified to do, which is as a child forensic interviewer. Now, ironically, as a nationally certified child forensic interviewer, I do not interview the kids. And you may scratch your head on that and say, well, how can he testify, how can he testify to that if he doesn't interview the kids? Well, the fact is, what is the child in these cases? When you get a case of he said, she said, what a child said, child victim hearsay, the kid is the crime scene. Okay, so whether, whether little Susie is accusing her father of molesting her and tells a teacher at school or, or tells a babysitter or tells mommy, um, you know, the, the, the fact is, the fact, the fact is that... Uh, uh, you know, it, it's a situation where 
um, you know, the, the, the father is presumed guilty. Uh, the belief system is all, all lies with the child. Why would the child lie? Why would the child be mistaken? And next thing you know, um, dad gets a call from the police or gets a knock on, knock on the door from CPS or maybe doesn't even get that. Maybe, maybe CPS and the cops are just interviewing the, the, the child in a minimal facts interview uh, talking to the babysitter or talking to the teacher at school and then transporting that kid to the child advocacy center for that for forensic interview. The forensic interview believe the nuts and bolts of the case because that interview is supposed to simulate what the child told the babysitter or told the teacher or told mommy. That interview is supposed to be done within three days of the child's outcry. Sometimes I'll get cases where the kid's not interviewed for weeks or even months after the child makes uh, his or her initial disclosure. Especially during wow. COVID, especially during COVID, it was very difficult to get kids in for interview purposes, you know, because of the disease was, you know, was at its peak. And even uh, with masks and those plastic barriers, they just didn't want to even do it. Yeah. So, a lot, of, a lot uh, of agencies and everything were closed. I know that was real hard for for a lot of things, yeah. but, so, but you know, I didn't realize how much it pertained, but it makes sense that it would pertain to the situation as well. Yeah, so I'm still working backlogged, backlogged COVID cases, to be, to be honest with you, back from three years ago in 2020 when it first hit. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I'm, I, I still have so cases that haven't gone, gone to on, trial. A lot of time it's lapsed, lapsed on those, so it does uh, kind of a uh, testimony might even be a little bit changed in that amount of time. I mean, it's hard enough for adults to recall um, things yeah, that exactly. happened. So, so, yeah, so we're talking about memory. You know, we're talking about memory. Mm-hmm. Memory's not going to memory's not going to improve. Uh, they they uh-huh. try to improve. They they try to amplify the kid's memory. They try to uh, accelerate the child's memory by placing the kid in therapy once a week. Sometimes that works. Yeah. If the if the kid has been abused, but if the kid has not been abused, that can pour gasoline on a fire. So you right. can have a you can have a well, you can have a well meaning concerned about about therapy. I mean about um, COVID with the the kids being with abusers, and I'm sure this is the same thing. But I was thinking that you know they've got all that time to tell the kid to shut up, to shut up, to shut up. But I'm sure it goes the other way too, where there with uh, you know maybe with the person that's accusing the other one, and and they've got all that time to you know change their change their story or enhance their story, um, you know like I think well, we were talking about the um, the the um, parents that you know are um, coaching the kids. That's a lot of coaching in that amount of time that the kids isolated with the parents that's coaching them. I mean, you do get parents. You do, you do get parents to coach or instruct the kids what to say. Right. Uh, I, I would I would say most I would say most parents are are protective parents. I don't I don't think most parents are maliciously trying to hurt the other parent by coaching the kid to falsely accuse that parent of incest or sexual assault. Uh, but with that said, you can say something uh, like you're talking to grandma on the telephone. And the kid hears that conversation within an earshot of the same, and the kid picks up information from the phone conversation that, you know, daddy's a monster or daddy's a pedophile or daddy touched her pee-pee or whatever. 
and the next thing you know that you know that resonates in the child's memory so that's that's naive or unwitting coaching you don't even know the child's sure. picking up on that but the child the child has picked up on that yeah okay so i get a lot of false positives i get a lot of false positives in my practice where kids actually disclosed during the forensic interviews but actually weren't sexually abused. I even get some false negatives where the kids don't disclose at all or minimally speaking. Uh, they don't reveal, uh, you know, the whole abuse. Uh, and, the, you know, they're not even asked, you know, did he tell you to keep this a secret? You know, they don't even ask that question. Or sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So I get a lot of false positives. I get some false negatives. And, you know, it, it's really a struggle to be able to figure out exactly what's going on because I'm not the, I'm not the trier and finder of fact. I'm not the person yeah. who's making so the decision. Yeah. I'm, not the, I'm not the person who's making the decision so of whether the accused to yeah. m- m- no, sexually abuse the kids. You know, that, that's yeah. the judge. That's the judge. So my, my job is to... My job is to provide the judge with as much scientific evidence that I can with empirical proof, uh, you know, the way the system conducted their investigation. Uh, did they use evidence-based best practices to interview the child? Did they use the NICHD method or did they use the uh, National Children's Alliance method or APSAC or Finding Words or some other uh, protocol? Uh, which is not as good as the NICHD, which requires open-ended questions such as, um, you know, little Mary, can you tell me what happened? Tell me about that. Can you tell me more about that? So you're actually tapping into the child's unconscious implicit memory. That's the memory you want to tap into to get the child's story of the child's own free volition. You don't want to put words or thoughts or ideas into the kid's mind. By suggesting or what, leading what the kid. What kind of question would that be then? What what types of questions would that um, be in the interviews? They that might put the, the different ideas or got um, the wrong yeah, story. Yeah. So so right. Okay. So so after after the interviewer builds rapport, so the first thing they do with the child is they build rapport. They go through the child's genesis of the family. They go through you know, where the child uh, goes to school. Of course, how old the child is. Um, how does a child have fun? And then, uh, you know, why did you come to talk to me today? And if the child says, I don't know, the next question should not, should not be, well, aren't you here because your daddy touched your pee-pee? You can't say that. And you can't say it at that point of the interview because the child has not introduced the concept that, number one, she's mm-hmm. been touched sexually and by her daddy. Okay, yeah. so that's leading that's suggestive, it's direct, it's putting words or thoughts or ideas into the kid's mind. It's really the interviewer testifying or, or giving mm-hmm. testimonial evidence in a forensic interview yeah. that she shouldn't be giving, okay? So you shouldn't be doing it that way, okay? And, and you know, if, if I'm on the case, I, I can assure you <laughs> I'm going to be on the other side discrediting the way you did that interview. That, you know, that, that's a given. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, well, that makes so, sense. So, you know, the, the main well, place in America. To, you mentioned the different types of interviews or, or how the questioning goes. Um, is there any, any that's um, 
So there's really none that are, quote, required only one way. It, they could be different. That is correct. Yeah, you, 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 are absolutely, okay. you are absolutely correct. There is no consistent protocol across America. And, and just so we're clear, I'm not really sure how they do it in, in the country of Canada. Um, you know, and uh, I, don't, I don't get many consultations. I don't get many cases from Canada. And certainly, you know, maybe there's somebody like me up there in Canada who does similar work to what I do. I don't know. But, you know, it's unfortunate for the children and for the accused and everybody going through this process when there's no consistency across the board from Massachusetts right. to California, from Massachusetts to California and all points in between. <clears throat> so down here in my state of Florida, they use a protocol called RADAR, uh, which is recognizing abuse disclosures and responding. Again, that's a semi-structured method. The research is kind of scanty on that protocol. Uh, the way that's supposed to work is they start off with open-ended questions, they funnel in, and then they funnel out with closed-ended questions. Okay, so instead of using open-ended questions throughout the interview, they will use some direct questions uh, moving forward through the interview process, and even even some leading questions and some sug suggestive questions, some repeated questions, and even forced choice questions. So a forced choice question would be like, "Okay, Mary, uh, did Daddy touch you in your pee pee, on your butt, or something else besides?" See, so you're actually giving the child a choice, but you're providing the child, you're providing the child with, 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 with a choice of a body part that she definitely has been touched in. It, again, it's not her own words. It's not her own story. Which it See, sounds so like you're, limited options or something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. So again, the, yeah. these are all types of these are all types of questions that can contaminate and adulterate the child's information. Now, we get to the law. We get to the law, the legal part of the interview, for purposes of legal admissibility in front of a judge or jury in a, in a court case. So, here in the country of Canada is called Mohan, O M O H A N, Mohan which is similar to our law down here, our case law called Daubert, uh, D-A-U-B-E-R-T. And that law controls the expert testimony and scientific theories of what's legally admissible in a court of law, any, any court of law. It basically says that the scientific theories such as parental alienation or, or um, child sex abuse accommodation syndrome or Munchausen syndrome by proxy, Whatever theory you're testifying to, it must, be, it must be scientifically reliable, it must have a known error rate, it must be peer-reviewed, it must be published, and it must be accepted by the entire general psychological scientific community. Those are the factors that have to be met in order for the judge to consider the legal admissibility of that particular scientific uh, theory or expert testimony. So, for example, in, in most states in America, the polygraph is inadmissible. It's not admissible. So if, if, if an accused individual goes through a polygraph, the chances are it coming in to evidence onto a court record are going to be slim to none. Okay. Now, it might, it, might, it might influence a police officer. It might even influence a district attorney in a criminal case to, to prevent a charge from coming down the pike. 
if the accused got a no deception indicated on the polygraph, but I can tell you to a degree of certainty it's probably not coming into evidence. It's not going to be admissible. Okay. Okay. Uh, but but if I put if I put an accused individual through a psychosexual test called the ABLE Assessment for Sexual Interest, the website for that is ablescreening.com, A-B-E-L screening.com, and that individual passes that test with a clean bill of health, and a doctor comes in and testifies to how that test works and what the accused individual went through to go through that test and how that person passed that test, and then it's objected to by the other side, well, now that test is probably going to come into evidence. The judge could overrule the prosecutor or the attorney for CPS and say, no, I, I heard the doctor's testimony, and uh, I'm satisfied that that test meets legal criteria as being bona fide science. It's not junk science. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's how, that's how it works. Um, you know, you, don't, you, don't, you just don't come into court and start giving opinion testimony and, you know, think that, think that, think that CPS uh, or the prosecutor yeah. is going to wave the, wave the white flag because they're probably not. They're probably going to object. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how how does um, how does it work then? Where somebody contacts you, um, they they are being uh, falsely accused. How do you usually get uh, the clients that, um, or do you do you not get clients? You just you who are you getting say hired by? Or, so I'm hired. Um, I'm I'm, I'm hired. Yes. So there's there's three ways there's three ways of hiring me. There's three ways of hiring me uh, for a case, and one of those ways the accused doesn't have to pay me a red cent. So the first way is for a parent who's accused, whether it's a mom who's falsely accused of coaching their kids to wrongly accuse the father of uh, being you know who's being accused by the child of sexual assault. Uh, I get a lot of moms who call me who've been falsely accused of coaching or instructing their kids to tell the kid that, you know, the kid was raped by daddy. I get a lot of those cases. In that case, the parent would, would probably have to hire me directly, privately. Uh, and then I get cases and then I get cases in juvenile court or criminal court where the accused is indigent or poor and has no resources and, you know, uh, just just has no money and and can prove can prove that in the financial affidavit to the court. And in that in that scenario, the judge would order the state to pay my fees for my time and my work. So that's happened in about a dozen states down here in America, and I'm probably working four or five cases right now as we speak, where the state is paying my fees. So in that type of scenario, I do the work first and I get paid later, and later could be six months or a year down the road. Oh my goodness. Because I'm not I'm, I'm not allowed to put my invoice in for payment until the case has concluded. Well, you know as well as I do that most of these court cases are not sprints but marathons. Right. That's right. So they take they take a long time from start to conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh the third way so I get I get how many cases do you usually um, have going at one time? I mean, there's a lot of inform- It sounds like a lot of information that you're sifting through. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 to 30 cases at all times. At all times. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, my caseload is as busy as a regular child protective services investigator working for the state. Uh, they normally carry about 20 to 25 cases at all times. Wow. So the, 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 other way, the, the other way I could be hired is directly by the attorney. And that's the best way to hire me is through the attorney because the attorney calls and when the attorney hires me, I, you know, so as a client, if, if you had a lawyer and let's say you were falsely accused of coaching, you would tell your lawyer to call me and the lawyer would hire me directly. That insulates what's called the attorney work product privilege. So as an expert, I have work product privilege with the attorney, meaning your records as the client, as the accused of coaching, are as confidential in my office as they are in the lawyer's law office. Okay, you have an attorney-client privilege with your lawyer. I have an attorney work product privilege with that same lawyer. Now, in, oh, that, re- in, that, re- in, in, that, in that respect, when I'm hired, I'm not able to be even accused of being a hired gun you know, because a lot of times I'll get that on cross-examination with a lawyer opposite me. Uh, well, you got paid how much? And uh, Well, you're just nothing but a hired gun. In other words, you would say anything because you got paid X amount of dollars. Well, you can't say that when a, when a lawyer's hiring me. Why is that? Because the lawyer is an officer of the court. Okay, right. and, and a, lawyer, a, a, lawyer, a lawyer can't be cherry-picking documents to send to me. When, when a parent hires me directly, it's possible, it's possible a parent could cherry pick what documents I, that they want me to see. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 it's, it's just a lot better. It's a lot safer for everybody involved if I'm hired directly by the attorney. And that would, that would not just be me. That would be any medical doctor, any psychiatrist, any psychologist, any neurologist, anybody like that. Yeah. Uh, should, should be contacted directly by, by the attorney. Right, right, because their time getting paid for while they're while they're in court. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And then you were you're saying like basically when um, um, somebody goes in there um, that like they're automatically because they're guilty they've been um, accused. And I know that you were mentioning the last time I spoke with you um, that you kind of come in and. You know, you're kind of the bad guy, <laughs> bad guy too, because um, I know you mentioned that some people think that, you know, you are defending child molesters, and, and that's yeah, not absolutely, it at all. I, 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 yeah. yeah, you're absolutely correct. You know, I, I, I walk into court, I have a target on my head because I, I come in as the politically incorrect guy. I come in as the guy that the system loves to hate. They don't like to see right. my name on a witness. They don't like to see my name on a witness list because they know, oh boy, uh, we we now have our work cut out for us. Mr. Tong is involved. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not here to make I'm not here to make friends. I have no time for that. Okay, I I only yeah. have time to do my do my job, and help the attorney and the accused, uh, get, you know, get, get to the promised land or not. You know, and I do the job to the best of my ability in all cases. I give 110% effort. I think everybody on Facebook or off of Facebook, on the internet or off the internet, would agree with uh, would, would would agree with me on that if they talk to you. Uh, past clients of mine. Uh, I've been doing this work for you know the better part of 30 years professionally. So, you know, I I I, I give my best shot. Uh, sometimes I'm unsuccessful. 
usually uh, in an unsuccessful result. That's not my fault, but the attorney's fault. You know, I, I sure. you know, I, I'm not, I'm not the quarterback. I'm the running back. So the quarterback is the attorney. The attorney controls the strategy. The attorney controls the litigation. Uh, in court, the attorney is the only person who can talk. I can't talk unless I'm under oath. I can't speak. Yeah. As a non-lawyer, I can't open my mouth. So you've got selected questions that they're they're asking you, and I know you know you watch things on TV, and they you know there might be a lot of information, but if the attorney's not asking those questions or giving you time to explain, I can't um, I can't force I can't yeah. force the attorneys to do anything. I can only suggest and recommend the attorney do X, Y, and Z, A, B, or C. The attorney can tell me, okay, I will, or okay, I won't. <laughs> you know, and it's up to the lawyer. Uh, I'm only here to help, and and uh, you know, I I not only give opinion testimony, I lay out strategy. So I will suggest certain motions. I'll su- I'll suggest certain case law. I'll suggest certain statutory law. I'll suggest I'll suggest certain protocol like a deposition or request for admission or interrogatories be taken. Uh, I'll also, when when push comes to shove and we're going to hearing a trial, I'll provide questions for impeachment of all the opposing witnesses against us, against our side. You know that you know that includes all fact witnesses, all expert witnesses on the other side. So, for example, you've been arrested. You're going to go to a criminal trial. You're looking at a felony conviction, a life in prison, and lifelong sex offender registration. That's a lot to swallow if you're convicted by a jury. So I come in and I help the attorney, uh, and I, I propose all the questions to discredit CPS, the forensic interviewer, uh, the therapist, the sex crime detective, all the investigators, uh, all the therapists, uh, you know, anybody who's an, an opposing expert. Sometimes the state will hire their own expert. So the state will have all these fact witnesses, CPS, sex crime detective, child forensic interviewer. They'll even hire a Ph.D. or an M.D. And I'm responsible to help the attorney to discredit that person as well. And then I got cases, you know, because I've been to medical school. I didn't finish, but back in the 80s, 40 years ago, I was accepted to medical school. So I have a medical background because I worked in hospital labs for 20, 25 years before I got involved in the legal field. And so I'll get cases, you know, shaken baby syndrome, where a kid, you know, comes into the ER with bilateral retinal hemorrhages or subdural hematoma, and the first thing the doctor thinks is uh, premeditated shaking by the mother's boyfriend. You know, the kid was crying, the boyfriend shook the kid, uh, the kid developed pooling of blood in the eyes and a subdural hematoma, basically uh, blew, blew out. A hemorrhage uh, in her or his brain and that was it the kid died now that now the accused is being charged with murder the reason for the murder is shaken baby syndrome well there are other things that can cause the same signs that the doctor saw such as such as osteogenesis imperfecta uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and rickets vitamin D deficiency you know, but they they don't usually go down that road. They're not looking for alternative hypotheses. It's the same thing I see in, in child sex cases. They're not looking for alternative hypotheses. They come in with a confirmatory biased opinion. Well, if the kid said it, it must be true. 
if the kid if the kid said Uncle Johnny molested him, that must be true. So the kid was molested by Uncle Johnny, and there's no other possible explanation. So they do right. an incomplete invest they do they do an incomplete investigation, mm-hmm. and that that's called source monitoring. They're not conducting source monitoring. They're not looking under every rock, and they should be. Well, I know I had a I had a situation where um, my my son was on uh, the bed, and uh, there was a bassinet with a um, you know um, one of those uh, it had like almost a handle over the top of it, and they rolled off the bed, and I heard him screaming, and I went in there, and so there was a line across his stomach. You know, and there was an investigation, um, and and they were looking into what could have caused that line, you know, and and I, you know, and the the father hadn't seen it, and uh, so you know I was given my my you know it didn't go to court or anything, but um, there were you know there was an investigation, and it could have went farther, and I wouldn't have known that there was anybody out there that could have. Look into it further. I just figured CPS, um, if they decided it was, you know, my fault that I had done something to him, um, that would have caused that that um, bruise across his stomach. Um, I, I back then, and I don't know if that would even be anything they had back then. That we're talking '86, and I was really scared because I didn't know how to prove that. You know, what had happened was. Was what I said happened, not what they thought might be abuse. So, um, but you didn't. You didn't hire your own forensic pediatrician. No, I didn't even know that nothing like that existed. I just figured the child protection yeah. said, "Guilty, you're guilty." <laughs> yeah. So, so what I do, yeah. uh, what I do in case, what I do in cases is I try to match, I try to match the state's power. With, the, with power for the defense. So obviously I've been doing this a long time. I've been on the Internet for almost 30 years, and, and I have contacts, uh, you know, a lot of contacts uh, all, across this, all across this planet, uh, to, be, to be clear. I have contacts in the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, uh, all English-speaking countries and some Spanish countries. So um, I will provide to the defense attorney uh, names of contacts who I'm privy to, who I know, who know me, experts in whatever field is necessary. Right. You know, uh, in, in the situation you just uh, alluded to with your child, you know, an orthopedist, uh, you know, a, uh, um, a, tra- trauma ph- a trauma physician in the ER. I have, I have trauma physicians. I, I, have, I have an expert for every issue that could possibly come up in any type of case that I can't handle. It was, it was also a domestic abuse situation, so I wasn't sure if he was going to come out and tell the truth that he hadn't seen anything, you know what I mean, or, or that he was going to say, yeah, she did this or that. So, right. so I was, you know, I, I was very, very afraid that um, – that I was going to lose my son in an accident. <laughs> well, you know the old saying: and, the only thing to fe- the, only, the only the only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, yeah. nobody will put nobody will put more fear into your into you in a New York minute than CPS. 
uh, right. you know, when they want to, when they want to take your kid away from you. Yeah. 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 So, and then, um, and then yeah. I had the same incident with um, a child protection worker who um, I revealed that I had multiple personality disorder or I was in the psych ward. Um, and um, I was, you know, trying to be a good parent. So when I went in the psych ward, I ended up, you know, putting my kids into foster care and they went into one foster care and that family wanted to adopt them. And that was the second family that wanted to adopt them. And the child protection worker was all, you know, to do that they were going to get adopted. And I just got down to it and, you know, I have nothing wrong, you know, um, except for having a mental health issue because of my own abuse. Um, you know, what's your reasoning behind this? And she's because they have money, basically they have money and you don't, you know. And I said, you can't take away my kids because I'm poor, you know. And, and uh I just called that lady the social worker from hell <laughs> because I, you know, I was yeah. fighting, fighting, fighting constantly. Um, I, I was sure I was going to have to go to court and fight. And, you know, I felt it was like my word against, you know, their word. And I wasn't sure how they could manipulate the fact that I was going to uh, therapy and had a psychiatrist and had been in the psych ward several times. Well, and so, yeah, if this if this is a tennis match, advantage CPS, not you. And of course, they have unlimited resources. And you'd be surprised how many cases I get where the lawyer never even tells the client, the accused, how much money the state has paid, has invested, to take that person down. Whether it's criminal court. Right. Whether it's, whether it's juvenile dependency, TPR court, where they, they just want to take your kids and adopt your kids out, whatever the situation may be, the lawyer never tells the accused client, oh, by the way, uh, it costs CPS $250,000 uh, for this case uh-huh. of yours that's been, that, that, that's been going on for the last two years. Right. So if you've got a corrupt system, for instance, these, these people were, you know, foster care for a lot of other kids. And, you know, they wanted two children, a boy and a girl. And, uh, you know, I was <laughs> I was the one that was kind of being targeted for their, you know, so they could have children. You know, you got to have thick skin to do the work I do. Um, I go up against CPS attorneys and prosecutors all the time. Sure. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, I'm well, the guy on the witness. Well, you hear a lot of uh, corruptive uh, I've got, you know, a lot of friends of mine and stuff that, you know, um, be it one way or the other, that, you know, the um, one's, one's the, you know, grandfather who's the judge and one's the uncle who's the attorney and, one you know, the police. And you feel like, you know, you've got all those people against you. And I know a lot of people that just give up because they just feel they can't fight it. I, I get it. You're preaching in the choir. And, and you know, I, I've been there, and I've been on the recipient of several of those calls over the years, decades. Uh, you know, everybody's everybody who's accused has the right to due process. That right to due process includes your right to counsel, attorneys, and experts. The attorney representing you, especially if it's a public defender or a court-appointed lawyer, won't tell you 
will not tell you, you, oh, by the way, you have the right to Dean Tong. You have the right to an expert. And, and why is that? Well, for one thing, I can tell you to, to a degree of certainty, if you're a lawyer and you're working with me, I'm going to make you roll up your sleeves and work because there's no easy, no easy road to victory here. It's a lot right. of work, a lot of man hours, very mm-hmm. labor and time intensive. Yeah. To be able to be able to be able to prepare at pre-trial to get ready for a trial against Big Brother Uncle Sam, the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I said, I'm, on my side, I was you know already depressed, and there's nothing that could make you more depressed than thinking of losing your children, and uh, already feeling <clears throat> bad about your parenting, you know, and, and then having people telling you you're a bad parent and feeling like there's no way you can, you know, defend yourself. Nobody can believe you. Um, yeah, it can be a going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, and then of course I have the same initials. I have the same initials as Donald Trump. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm as, <laughs> I'm as hated, I'm as hated by the Democrats as Donald Trump is perhaps more. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and 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 this is not supposed to be a political issue, but you know what? No. It becomes one. It becomes one. Mm-hmm. It does because it does. Yep. A, a, a lot of the people, a lot of the people on the what I call the child saver side of this coin, the true believers that children don't lie, that children are not mistaken about physical or sexual assault, must be believed to protect at all costs. Uh, those people. Uh, those people motivate me. They motivate me to work harder at my job. Right, right. I know I have my daughter, you know, and I and I did the whole buddy book where, you know, nobody touched you had your bathing suit and the whole thing. And I was over at my grandparents' house, and my grandfather, you know, um, just innocently petted my daughter on the butt, and she turned around put her hands on the hip and said, don't touch my butt, Grandpa. That's my private part, you know. And, I mean, that could have been interpreted wrong if she would, you know, could if I been. hadn't been there and she would come home and said, you know, Grandpa, touch my butt, you know, or touch me under my bathing suit area or whatever, you know, um, could have been totally blown out of the water. How old was that kid? She was four. Four. You know, and mm-hmm. she might have just gotten a, she might have gotten a good touch, bad touch, secret touch. Uh, program mm-hmm. at uh, pre pre K, or by yeah. her mom, uh, yeah. you know, uh, right right before Grandpa uh, gave her that little pat. Yep, yep. You know, yep. but you know, there's a case. If you Google it, there's a case from 1996 called the Kiss Case, K I S S, the Kiss Case from North Carolina, and a little boy, Jonathan Jonathan Prevet was his name. Uh, this case made national national attention. This case, this kid kissed a little six year old girl on the cheek. He was seven, kissed a little six year old girl on the cheek. He got suspended from school for doing so by oh. the national uh, ed- national educational uh, national sure. education association. So uh, you know, <laughs> it took a lot of uh, money and and uh, litigious efforts to get that uh, overturn for that little boy and that family because wow. there was nothing sex there was nothing sexual about that. Right. 
exactly. But that you know, yeah. you know. So so my my point my point is ever since ever since my website went on the internet in 1997, right after that case happened in '96, we have been living in what I call no touch no touch rules America. In other words, it's it's almost not safe to touch your own children. Right, right. I have people you know? that say that, you know, that, especially a lot of men that, you know, because I go to AA, a lot of men say, you know, I'm I'm afraid to put my kid on my lap and, you know, even watch TV or, you know, cuddle with them by TV because I'm afraid that it's going to get, you know, turned into something it's not. You know, there's a book. Um, I actually went up. I went up against the doctor, the psychologist. I went up against him on a national TV show uh, in 1992, over 30 years ago, against this PhD. Um, the book is titled "Silently Seduced." Silently Seduced: Uncovering Covert Incest. And you'll you'll see that book over at, at Amazon. The doctor's name is is Ken Adams. Doctor Ken Adams. And and I went up against him on a national TV show over 30 years ago, and he brought three of his victims, clients, uh, to the show. And, of course, I was alone defending myself, and I had just published my first book, uh, Don't Blame Me, Daddy, was published that same year in 92. He had just come out with his book. And the, uh, you know, the host of the show asked me, he said, hey, Dean, uh, this doctor and this book of his and these clients of his, is, is this another witch hunt? Is this another form of a witch hunt? And right. what it was was uh, these 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 women, these young women who were his clients, came on and to say that, well, their dad looked at them in the bed, and the dad happened to be in his boxer shorts, and so the uh, the daughter said that, um, you know, the dad was leering leering at the girl at the daughter in the bed, uh, and she she made it sexual. She basically right. made it sexual, that the leering was sexual. It was emotional mm-hmm. incest is what he called it, emotional incest. Yeah, yeah I learned about uh, we, abuse when I was going through an incest group, and it, it really confused me to, you know, kind of get, put those ideas in my head um, that my grandfather might have done something wrong, you know, um, you know but, because, but was, because he was, in effect, know, in a person, but it wasn't, it wasn't incest. It was... It wasn't, but I w- I doubted. I wasn't sure about it because you know all of a sudden they came up with this term, covert sexual abuse, and and like right. you said, you know, um, geez, I didn't know. I was just learning about being sexually abused. You know, I was calling uh, what my dad did to me, um, making love because that's what he told me to say, and and then all of a sudden they come up with this covert sexual abuse. And I'm questioning everything about my life, you know, and uh, wondering if my, my grandfather had thoughts, you know, and and it happened with my grandmother, too. You know, it was like all of a sudden I was going everywhere with my grandfather. And then at 13, she wouldn't let me go with him anywhere and um, because she had been sexually abused. And so she had an idea that because she had been all of a sudden at a certain age, I wasn't going to spend any alone time with my grandfather. And I thought I had done something wrong, you know, until years later when I found out that she had been sexually abused. She, that was her way of trying to protect me. But, but it made me feel really bad because my grandfather hadn't done nothing. <laughs> he was a wonderful guy, you know. He was a very wonderful right. guy. Yeah. 
Well, you know, and I, I asked the host, I said, you know, the problem I have uh, uh, with this doctor's uh, book and this theory of his and supposedly anecdotally his victims who are painting a picture that the accused was guilty of layering emotional incest, there was no scientific data on this topic, none. So right. I had to tell the I had to tell the host and the audience, which I got a national I, I got a, a standing ovation on. Uh, the audience actually stood up and gave me an ovation for this one. This is nothing but ideology. So it's all uh-huh. it is is ideology. You know, you you're you're conjuring up something to alarm people that we have to yeah. be aware of this hysteria. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too so, that I, I see a lot a lot happening on um social media and stuff. Um things are, you know, um one person starts something kinda of like that telephone game, you know, where one person says a sentence and by the time you pass it around whispering it, you know, to the next person, the next person, by the time you get twenty people you whispered it to, it comes out completely completely, totally off the wall from what the pers- first person said. And uh I see a lot of that happening on social media you know then then if you look at the statistics if you look at the statistics of unsubstantiated cases and i'm not talking about false cases i'm talking about cases that never made it to the 50 yard line okay mm-hmm. what i call the 50 yeah. yard line so so in most courts in most courts in america and canada and north america the rule of law for the burden of proof uh for uh, anybody in family court or juvenile dependency court uh, is called a preponderance of evidence, 51%, more evidence than not. The judge has to see and rule that there was a preponderance of evidence, more evidence than not, to believe the accuser's side and not the accused side. Well, I can tell you to a degree of certainty that about three-quarters of all these cases, 75%, are unsubstantiated. That's a fact. Yeah. That's a fact. About about 15% are confirmed, okay? Mm-hmm. That's, 15%, that's 15% too many, but about 15% are confirmed. Another 10% are false. And by false, I mean premeditated malice aforethought in bad faith, where somebody was picking up a telephone, calling a toll-free hotline to ruin your life, to ruin right. your life. Okay, I, I, I know how to get her. I know how to get her. I'm going to ruin her life by calling, uh, calling 1-800-96-ABUSE uh, in Dean Tong's state of Florida, and she's going to come under investigation and lose that kid and go to jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've okay. seen that happen to us. So, so, so my, 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 point, my, po- my point is simple. My point is simple. If you clean up, if you clean up those 75% cases, uh, you may not be able to clean up the 10% that are lies, malicious lies. But another three quarters are wrong, misinformation, okay, errors, errors in judgment, errors by the kids who are suggestible or have been victimized by memory source contamination, or cases where you got the wrong guy, mistaken identity. Somebody else did it. You got the wrong perp. Okay, all the, all those are lumped into the 75% category. If you clean up that category, what have you done? Well, you've just given all your resources and time and effort to helping those children who have been abused, neglected, and abandoned. It's common sense. You've got to clean up 
the unsubstantiated, unfounded cases, and you'll be able to do your job as you are charged by the legislature to protect kids at risk and harm's way and jeopardy, you'll be able to do your job because you won't have to worry mm-hmm. about the false cases, the unsubstantiated cases on the other side of the street. You'll be able to take care of what your, what your job is mm-hmm. to do, and that's to protect really, truly children who have been abused. Right, right. Um, I just had a caller that just texted me and wanted to know about um, um, have you seen a lot of cases of uh, generational abuse? Because you mean, we're hearing you mean, about you mean allegations based on memory from decades ago? Um, no, I'm talking about, um, for instance, like when my grandma was abused and then my mom was abused and I was abused. Um, oh, yeah. And, well, and absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a factor because we know in psychology that past behavior predicts future behavior. So certainly, certainly that's an issue uh, that you have to, you know, you have to basically note that as a red flag. Uh, if the mother was abused and her mother was abused, the chances are, you know, she's going to, she, mom is going to lodge, lodge allegations of abuse down the road in, uh, in, in her, uh, in her, in her marriage. Uh, perhaps divorce going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, because I, you know, I reported to the uh, child protection worker that my kids had signs of abuse, and um, she dismissed it because she said that, well, since you were abused as a kid, you're, you're, you know, uh, projecting that onto your children, which I found out later on I was right. You know, they they had been abused, um, but but I wasn't I wasn't believed. You know. And and so you know there's there's two sides that you know every coin but um, that's right I, I could see how like you know if my grandfather had taken me out and I had you know said something like you said you know um, he touched me on my butt or whatever I could see my grandmother just blowing that out of the water you know because her initial response was that's what dads do because they had adopted me since the year old year old you know. And, uh, but I could see her, you know, automatically interpreting that is that he did something. Well, and look, let's be clear. It starts with a belief system. It starts with a belief system and what the, what the belief system of the parent is can project onto the kid. And we actually have a diagnosis for this F F 24 in the ICD 10 11, which is shared delusional disorder. So, I'm not saying all moms are delusional and all kids are delusional, but what I am saying is there are cases that go undiagnosed and untreated where, where a mother, uh, you know, may be delusional. She may have a false belief system, and she projects that onto her child who shares that same false belief system. We have a diagnosis for that. This could also be the same mom who suffers from what we call Z, Z62.1 in that same ICD-1011, an overprotective mom. You might have heard of the, of the term helicopter parent, okay, or right. helicopter mom. Okay, there's a Wikipedia mm-hmm. page on, hel- on helicopter parent, and that's a mom mm-hmm. who is hovering over her child like a helicopter, not letting that kid breathe, basically suffering, <laughs> suffocating that kid with her own belief system. Because mm-hmm. I know I've heard that term a lot, helicopter mom, but a lot of times, you know, it's also misused, like, a, you know, a parent that, you know, is really involved with the kid in the sports and, 
and different things like that. So I think a lot of terms can be, um, um, you know, if we, like the way you define helicopter mom and other people I've heard defined it can be two just completely different things. Um, well, that, that's, that's, but, that's the same thing as, that's the same thing as coercive control. So women, women who are victims of domestic violence can be in, can be in coercive control situations controlled by the man, the male perpetrator of domestic violence. On the other side of that same coin, you can get a, targeted parent who's been falsely accused of abuse and the alienator the alienator is is coercively controlling the kid um, gaining 100 percent enmeshment and attachment to that kid while depriving attachment to the targeted parent the accused parent okay that that's also coercive control where that mm-hmm. that alienator is controlling that kid wielding that kid as a pawn weapon or tool uh, to control that kid and keep the kid away from the accused parent. I remember the last time you were on, you had brought up um, that one of the defenses you used was uh, parent alienation, and that um, that you had to back what that that was actually because you mentioned before um, scientific, you know, um, they have to they have some kind of studies behind it and stuff, and they said that parent alienation wasn't a wasn't a thing. I could have, I could be misquoting you, but. Um, well, it's not, it's not, it's not published. It's not published in our, in our DSM five or ICD 11. Okay. As, as parental alienation, it is in there in subtypes such as child affected by parental relationship, distress, parent child relational disorder, uh, estrangement or, or child psychological abuse. Uh, they're all in there as subtypes the word alienation is not in the dsm which is our mental health bible it's not in the icd our medical bible it's not but but parental alienation is recognized and i actually told a criminal court judge this a month ago when i testified by zoom in a criminal case from idaho that it is recognized by the american academy of pediatrics the aap it's also recognized by the american academy of child and adolescent psychiatry ACAP. Mm-hmm. That's a a a a a c a p dot org. A a c a p dot org is a wonderful, wonderful website. It has a mm-hmm. slew of fantastic scientific articles over there for for parents, for professionals, for academics, for researchers. Just a great website that offers uh, mm-hmm. free information over there. Uh, if you need that, uh, on whatever the situation may be, you might have an autistic child. And they have a lot of information on autism over there, uh, you know, ASD, uh, attention spectrum uh, deficit uh, with the kids on the spectrum. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so I, I told the judge in this case I testified in, you know, Your Honor, I agree with you in part. In part, I agree with you because the judge didn't believe parental alienation was bona fide science. So I said, I agree with you in part. And I explained why I agree with him and why I don't agree with him. And he said, you know what? I'm satisfied with this guy. He's clearly an expert, and I'm going to allow him to testify on parental alienation. Right, because before then he wasn't, wasn't uh, convinced that, that you were, um, I don't know what the word would be, <laughs> but, but you had mentioned that, that he said, you know, you can go ahead and testify because uh, – you know, it makes sense that they have to they have to prove 
um, whatever you're using as a defense. Um, well, we is, we have is, we have a fairly new we have a fairly new theory. We have a fairly new theory. It's called the five five factor model for parental alienation. That was published. Uh, that was rather authored by a psychiatrist who I recently worked a case with from Tennessee, Dr. William Burnett, and he published uh, authored actually this uh, uh, model back in 2020, the COVID year, and it was published. Uh, you know, and this model basically says in the five factors that the first factor is when the child is rejecting the targeted accused parent. So let's say Johnny is the kid and and uh, dad's name is Sam. And, of course, Johnny and Sam, the father and the kid, had a great relationship. But all of a sudden, the marriage turned sour on the rocks and went to a divorce and it went to a high-conflict divorce, and then a vicious custody battle ensued. And allegations of abuse were leveled, and governmental agencies were involved, CPS, the police, child forensic interviewers, the CAC, Child Advocacy Center, and one thing led to another, and mom started to keep Johnny away from Sam, the father, because mom thought Johnny molested Sam. Okay, and it really didn't matter what um, the agency said or even what the judge said. Mom wasn't letting dad near that kid. Well, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, after a couple of months of therapy and indoctrination from mom, well, little Johnny didn't want to see Sam, his father. He wanted no part of him. He didn't want to see him by Zoom. He didn't want to see him in person. He didn't want to talk to him on the phone. He wanted nothing to do with it. So this is the first factor in this model where the child resists, disconnects, and then rejects the targeted parent. Mm-hmm. Okay, the second, the, the second factor is the accused can prove through audio and video and pictures that at one time there was a normal relationship going on between the accused and the child. Then the third factor is the unfounded, unsubstantiated allegations by CPS and the police. Um, you know, dad was never arrested. CPS unsubstantiated their, uh, the abuse allegations leveled by mom. And then the fourth factor would be there, are, there were signs and symptoms of mom's parentally, uh, parental alienating behaviors. Uh, and then the fifth factor would be the signs and symptoms of the alienated child were consistent with that mm-hmm. of an alienated child. Mm-hmm. So that basically that basically is the five factor model. Um, it is a bona fide model. Uh, that doesn't mean all judges and all courts are going to accept that model. Right. Right. We had uh, I, <clears throat> I worked with Better Women Shelter, and a lot of the women that came in there were convinced that they were in the Better Women Shelter that uh, father had no rights to see the kids, and the shelter outright told them as long as there's no you know, no order that they can't see the kids, that you are, you know, um, denying that parent of seeing the kids and you could be arrested, you know. And and they just didn't understand that. They thought just because, you know, and I, I would sit sometimes with some of these women at their house and um, just hear them tell their kids what an awful, awful person the father was, you know, um, always cutting them down, always this and that, you know. And and it just broke my heart. I had, you know, gotten away from uh, both my kids' fathers, but but I just was very careful not 
to put them down because my grandmother did that to me over my mom because, you know, they they wanted uh, to keep custody of me. And so every time, you know, my mom's name was brought up, all kinds of negative stuff, you know. Um, your mom didn't want you and took care of you, and she's just, this is awful, 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 awful. And if you're not good, you're going to get sent to live with her. And, uh, you know, she's not going to cook like me. She's giving me hot dogs and this and that. Well, my brothers went to live with her, and, uh, you know, she's cooking all these meals and everything. And one day she says, my ki- my brother says, hey, by the way, where are the hot dogs we were supposed to get? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like that was a bad thing, you know, but mm-hmm. she would always, you know, and, and, uh, she painted the picture of my mom just being this horrible, awful person that we were threatened if we weren't good. Well, they weren't quote good because there were boys and my grandma hated boys uh, that they, mm-hmm. they had to go live with, you know, and so they were scared to death, you know, because that was the punishment for being bad, you know, and, and you know, and she didn't do the, you know, she wasn't the horrible monster that my grandma had painted her out to be. And mm-hmm. so they wanted to know where the hot dogs were. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because that was one thing they thought wouldn't be bad, you know, because they were forced to eat, you know, for, not starch, but, you know, eat your vegetables and, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it can have a big impression of, of how the other parent, you know, is looking at the one that they're um, divorcing or away from or whatever. And so, yeah, it, get, it, it can get real tangled up, like, you know. Yeah, most, most, divorce, most, divorce, most divorce and custody orders I see now pretty much have a standard clause in the same, which basically the judge says mm-hmm. neither parent is to disparage, vilify, or denigrate the other parent uh, and actually uh, cannot wield the child as a messenger. Uh, cannot allow the child to see legal documents or court documents or talk about court proceedings to the child. Now, of course, you know, the judge is not going to really know what happens behind closed doors unless mm-hmm. one parent is taping, taping the other parent. Well, you better be careful. You're in a two-party, you, you know, you're in a one-party state. Because if you're in a two-party yep. state like I'm in in Florida, you could be arrested for taping somebody without their permission. Yeah, yeah, I had a woman that that happened to us. She says, you know, she uh, tape-recorded threats and everything that were done to her, and they threw it out, um, the evidence out, because they weren't allowed, she wasn't allowed to tape without the permission of the other person. And then she also got charged with a felony, <laughs> in addition to that, for, for taping them. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of blew me away that, you know, that you need to know what your state's love are. And then uh, my my other caller was wondering too about um, do that um, does the way to say when a child reports to a teacher um, what's the way to that in in a court case um, do they bring in um, teachers to testify or is that just um, a well, starting point so, to an investigation? Well, it's a starting point to investigation because the teacher is a mandated reporter by state and federal law and must report quote, any reasonable suspicion of child abuse, end quote. Failure to do so, the teacher can be arrested for failure to report uh, and or lose her license or his license as a teacher. So it's very serious. So most teachers will err on the side of reporting. Uh, And when they do, they're calling CPS and or the police, which will ensue an investigation. 
and eventually that teacher will be talked to by a cop uh, and or a CPS investigator, uh, and then maybe subpoenaed to a court of law, uh, maybe uh, have to give a deposition down the, down the road in the court case. Okay, that makes sense. So then also would say, you know, there, there's a lot of people now that are mandatory reporters, um, um, and, and who would those be? So those would be uh, teachers, obviously uh, guidance counselors or school psychologists, the principal, uh, police officers, social workers, therapists, doctors, nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, you know, pretty, pretty much anybody, uh, you know, who, who has a professional job working around children, uh, youth, youth mm-hmm. care workers, uh, e- even priests. Priests are mandated reporters in, in churches. Okay. So, you know, yeah, yeah you, 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 you've got to report and you've got to err on the side of reporting. I have no problem with any of those professionals reporting no. uh, an, an allegation. Now, CPS, right. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, CPS has the subjective discretion to screen out any investigation that they deem that they want to screen out. So if they know it's a custody battle or if they know that, uh, you know, somebody's calling in with an ax to grind against the accused, uh, they have the right to screen out that investigation and actually turn the tide against the caller for possibly okay. false reporting. You know, right. down, in my, down, in my, down in my state of Florida down here, it's a felony. It's a felony. You can go to prison for up to five years if you falsely accuse somebody maliciously of child abuse down here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so, you know, but, but, but I mean, all, all mandated reporters are mandated by law to report. And of course, if you don't, you could be arrested for failure to report and, and, or lose your professional license. Um, You know, and, and so it's very serious because it could actually, it could actually kill your occupation uh, for, of yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, and definitely your finances and reputation and everything. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, um, so um, we've got uh, about 15 minutes. Um, would you like to cover uh, maybe um, what's on your website? Uh, people know what you know. Um, well, what they're looking my, at, my, or my, what they're going to be looking yeah, at. Yeah, my, my my website is just a treasure trove of information that's been on the internet now for over 25 years. Pretty much anything you want to know about uh, being potentially falsely accused of child abuse, any type of child abuse. Uh, there are scientific articles over there, legal legal statutory um, information, case law, legal review, journal articles. Uh, you know, there's a section how to choose your attorney. So if you're starting out and getting a divorce, or you want to get a, you're in a custody battle, or you're under an allegation and facing CPS, or uh, or or your kid has been abused and you don't know who to call, but you don't know you don't know the right lawyer to choose. You know, there's a section over there right. how to choose your attorney. Very important. Mm-hmm. And then there's it, also actual, uh, court cases on there that. Um, you uh, represented uh, clients as well, right? If people want to kind of see what it is that you do or wh- how you have uh, done cases in the past. Is that correct? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a whole reference page on me. If you, if you click on where it says Dean Tong dedicated contact retained references, 
you don't have to hire me. But if you if you just want to see uh, rep- representations of my work over the past 20 years since the start of this century, uh, there are references from lawyers and clients, parents, both men and women, fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts and grandfathers and grandmothers who've hired me over the past 20 years who give their references for my work over there. So uh, not everybody, of course, comes out smelling like a rose, you know, and, and again, my job is, 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 you know, I'm used as a tool to help the attorney. Uh, the attorney can accept my help and may not accept my help. Then, of course, there are cases where I where I have helped people who don't who can't afford an attorney, and so they they want to use me as an expert guide, as a consultant, uh, or uh, and or give opinion testimony, and so but they can't afford a lawyer, so they're litigating pro se in court. They may hire me just to have an expert on, on involved to help them to to present their case to a judge in court. You know the fees for attorneys are astronomical, uh, and, and of course we're still in a in a gruesome inflation uh, and recession in this world, and so attorneys are not cheap. Uh, you know, right. and and so uh, unless you're involved, uh, unless you've been arrested and or going up against CPS in court, I can assure you you're going to wind up paying for a lawyer. In other words, you mm-hmm. have no opportunity. You have no opportunity to get a lawyer pro bono. Uh, okay. You know, at, at, at the expense of the state, unless you're fighting in criminal court or juvenile court. If you're in family court, um, forget about it. You you know you have to pay for an attorney oh, yeah. unless you want to. Oh yeah, unless you want to represent yourself. And of course, that could be legal suicide if you're going up against an experienced lawyer on the other side. Sure. And then sure. yeah, then you have to worry about then you have to worry about the judge appointing a guardian ad litem which is an attorney for the child or children. So, so even if, even if you, even if mom and dad don't have lawyers, but the court appoints a guardian ad litem, that is going to be a, a licensed attorney. Now you're going up against a lawyer who, you know, knows the rules of court, knows the rules of procedure, knows the rules of evidence. You got no chance. You just have no chance against that person in court. And besides that, you know, the guardian ad litem, is the arm of the judge. It's the arm of the court in, in the field. So you're at a disadvantage. Uh, you're at a big-time disadvantage there uh, if, you, mm-hmm. if you don't have a licensed, licensed attorney. But, you know, choose, choosing your lawyer is not throwing darts, uh, darts at the dartboard. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. going to the website, lawyers.com, and, and going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That's the wrong yeah. way to pick your lawyer. I like that. I love know, to use the sale for me. I opened the yellow pages and, you know, closed my eyes and found an attorney by just pointing at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't, because, you know, you, you know, you're picking a lawyer not to, not to just represent you, but you're picking a lawyer. If you lose, you lose your kids. Yes. So it's a huge, yes. huge decision because your lawyer, your, your lawyer, while, while the lawyer is representing you directly, indirectly, that lawyer is mm-hmm. representing your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you think that there's more um, allegations uh, in recent years um, that are that are not only false but you know true? I mean, there's to me it seems like it's more out in uh, the open as far as you know the the pointing fingers at people for abuse. 
So do you seem to have more cases now than maybe, I don't know, when you first started started all this? I'm, I, I, you know, I, my practice remains pretty steady because I get an influx of state paid cases. I had a lady call me today, you know, from, uh, from a state where, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of money in that state and she doesn't have a lot of money, you know, and uh, that's a case where the judge may, may uh, approve my services to be paid for by the state. Uh, like I said, right. every, every, every accused, if you're going up against CPS, uh, or the state in a criminal case, uh, you have a right to due process. That right to due process includes your constitutional right to counsel and experts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so my practice remains pretty as far as the numbers, but, you know, you go back to 2017 and the Me Too movement started up six years ago. I think there's been an increase of, uh, of high-profile allegations in the media against high-profile accused individuals uh, for, for sexual, harass, sexual harassment or sexual abuse. Now, I'm not, mm-hmm. saying they're all, I'm not saying they're all innocent. I mean, a lot of them no. may be guilty. I mean, look, look, look at what happened mm-hmm. to Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein. Um, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of high-profile. A lot of high-profile. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin, Kevin Spacey was accused. I think he won his case. Uh, Bill, Bill Cosby got convicted, but his conviction was overturned. Right, right. Uh, you know, so and, and the, uh, the term forensic trial consultant. Um, um, until until uh, I was on the show with you, I had never even heard of the the term. <laughs> you know, so um, there's got to be people out there that and attorneys maybe that that don't even think, hey, you know, let's get this, you know type of a person involved well is, I'm, is I'm, a I'm, I'm, I'm a specialist I'm a specialist yeah I, I'm a specialist so this is all all that I do and with all due respect to a law, lawyers out there who who do represent clients in these cases uh, and I'm just I'm just going to paint a real quick picture for you it could be a lawyer who does wills and bankruptcies and estates and oh yeah, I also litigate one or two child sex cases a year. Well, with all right. due respect, counselor, with all due respect, counselor, you couldn't possibly be keeping up on this dynamic issue that I'm an expert in by doing one or two cases a year. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, the the the, the, the number the number of peer-reviewed scientific article journal articles that I read every year it's astounding. Uh, the the amount of science that's poured into this issue in all facets of this issue, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, yeah, whether it's sexual, de- whether it's sexual, on. whether it's, yeah. whether it's sexual deviancy, whether it's, whether it's treating, treating a kid in with play therapy or TFCBT or EMDR, uh, you know, whether it's the child forensic interview process and, and methodology and protocol, there's just a lot that goes into this, you know, mm-hmm. and so. And Usually, usually when I testify, I'm not just giving professional testimony. I'm giving a, I'm giving an education to everybody in the courtroom. It's like a CLE education seminar for attorneys and judges. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, that's a lot. And, and that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, sometimes you know, when you come to court, and and you know, let's say it's a criminal case, and uh, and let's say I'm helping the attorney pick the jury because sometimes I'm brought in as a jury consultant to help pick the jury. You know, that, that's another facet of any criminal case, obviously, especially 
uh, you can get biased, prejudiced jurors because obviously, you know, when a juror hear, hears the words child and sex, that just doesn't mix. That's like oil and water. Mm-hmm. So there's an immediate yeah. bias and prejudice against the accused because, oh, my God, he's, he allegedly sexually abused the kid. But you see, the state, the state's going to refer to the child as a victim. In opening statement, uh-huh. the, the prosecutor is going to refer to the kid as a victim. Well, you're not thinking the kid's a non-abused victim. You're thinking, the, yeah. as a juror, you're thinking the kid has been an, uh, an abused victim. It's already a foregone conclusion. Right. See, so, right. so there's, there's an immediate bias against the accused immediately. So the, yeah. the, the, defense, the defense is swimming upstream, clearly swimming upstream in these cases, and pretty much mm-hmm. in all cases. It, it really doesn't matter who you are. Sure. sure. Uh, you know, the, 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 I can assure you a, a child sex abuse allegation will take you down in a New York minute. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. who you are. Uh, lo, you know, look what happened to Mike Tyson 30 years ago. He went to prison for, mm-hmm. raping, for raping Desiree Washington in the state of Rhode Island for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and uh, so uh, any, anybody is vul- everybody's vulnerable. Anybody can be accused at any time. And it's just based on hearsay. It's an out-of-court statement made by a parent or a teacher or, or somebody else on behalf of a kid. Yeah. And they don't, need, they don't need medical forensic proof to bring a case to court. They don't need any of that. Uh, they don't need a um, broken hymen or they, they don't need, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tears or fissures to the anus. They don't need, they don't need any yeah. of that. All they, need, all they need is the kid saying, you touch my butt, you touch my pee-pee. Right. If this, if this goes to court, good luck. Yeah, yeah. I want to remind people that we're on uh, scan number 3157, and these are all archived. So um, to pass this, you know, um, information on to anybody that would be dealing with situations, um, they can call up and uh, listen to this show um, by going on nasca.org, N-A-S-C-A.org. And uh, just look at the uh, scan number, um, which is uh, Stop Child Abuse Now, um, number 3157. And uh, coming to a uh, close, we've got uh, four minutes left. And uh, I again want to mention that I can go to NASCA.org. And for um, two years now, we haven't had a newsletter. We're going we're gonna to get a newsletter going. And we, I also want to invite any... Um, Survivors would love to come on and tell their story. Um, survivors of child abuse um, to contact us at, at nasca.org, or we also have a page on there um, for um, Minnesota or for ambassadors. And I'm the Minnesota ambassador for NASCA. Been involved in NASCA for about 15 years, and uh, we um try to keep informed and we try to help you find resources or um direct you in uh areas uh we try to keep track of all our guests so that we can uh you know share the continue to share this information because you know there are just so many um so many issues around this that uh we also are just you know we're not professionals but if you need somebody to talk to get a start or to come on the um, come to our peer support groups, which are Tuesday, Thursdays, and Sundays, um, which are uh, one o'clock to two thirty, uh, and uh, 
uh, it's a peer support group. We're not professionals again, but you know, just come and talk about some of these things. We uh, invite you to come on, and uh, you don't have to come on with your picture or you know your name. You can you know change your name on the Zoom thing because um, we do have uh, a lot of information. And uh, but yeah, but pass this on if if you know anybody dealing with this issue. Um, and also you know for survivors to understand the, the different aspects of a court case and uh, what might come up, uh, you know, if you're advocating for a child. And we've got 90 seconds left, so I'm going to go ahead and play the music. And thank you again, Dean, for coming on once again. And uh, we hope to hear from you again because you've got a lot, a lot of great information. Yeah, thank thanks you for having much. me again, and mm-hmm. thank, thank yep. you for having me, and thank you, thank you for the work that NASCAR mm-hmm. and you guys do. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. Okay, we're going to play the song and uh, head out, and God bless uh, adult survivors of child abuse, and God bless all of the children of the Never know. 